Hey, this is Louisiana Sister Squad Podcast, where we bring you real information to enhance your truther lifestyle. I'm Katie. And I'm Tammy. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. Showing love and appreciation to a veteran can have a positive impact in their life as well as a positive impact on our community. In honor of Memorial Day 2022 and veterans across our great nation, Louisiana Sister Squad Podcast, along with Hugs for American Veterans, presents the Bear Hug Challenge. All you have to do is upload a pic showing love to our military veterans on our Telegram or tag us in an Instagram photo using the hashtag VetsHug. At the end of the challenge, all photos will be submitted by us to the Hugs for American Veterans Facebook page. The entry with the best bear hug photo will win an All-American prize. Contest ends May 29th, 2022. Winner will be announced Memorial Day, May 30th. See our link tree for more details. Share the love. Honor a veteran. Join us. Take the bear hug challenge. Today on Louisiana Sister Squad Podcast, we're speaking with Chef Molly. She's such an amazing woman. She has 17 acres of farmland in California that's absolutely gorgeous, and she's going to tell us why she's leaving. She's also going to give us some fantastic tips on incorporating regenerative farming into our home garden. Welcome to the show, Molly. Um, Well, my name is Molly Englehart, and I am a vegan chef from Los Angeles turned farmer, but I grew up on a farm as well. So back to farming. Uh, And I have, I'm on the board of a nonprofit called Kiss the Ground that transitions farms from standard practices to regenerative practices. And really my commitment is healthy people, healthy soil, healthy food. And how can we be uh, the best cell in the system? How can we be the best part of, uh, the earth how can we do what love would do what jesus would do what would god do now in all that we do and so i really just um am trying to do my best uh here on this planet well i have the privilege to be here chef molly we don't want to delay you have such a big background and so much going on and we want to cover all of the important topics the first thing we wanted to start with was um recent headlines What we're seeing go viral are farmers saying they're being paid off to destroy their crops. That's almost unbelievable. To be honest, when it comes to that, I am doing research still. I don't know personally anybody that has been paid to destroy their crops. I know people that during the pandemic had excess crops and there was money that you could get if you couldn't sell your crops. People were dumping milk because they had a... uh, they had a contract with say the school district. So their all their equipment, everything they did was just set up to do the little pouches for the school district. And then there was no school. So they had nothing to do but dump their milk and to get reimbursed by the government, something like that. And so farmers that have a very specialized business, like they only make, they only grow lemons for the cruise ships or they only grow milk for the schools. When the pandemic happened, uh, there was no, Uh, way for them to sell their produce to sell their product and so they were I do know about people that were compensated for the government for what they had to plow back into the field throw away dump down the drain and that really speaks to that we really really do want to 
continually be diversified as we as human beings have gotten so efficient we're so undiversified that when something happens unexpected we all of a sudden are completely powerless but if that farmer could have pivoted and done cheese or pivoted and done um you know local bottling and regular jars for local um grocery stores or whatever then they could have sold their milk who knows there's all different ways but if we're diversified and we don't just sell one product to one person when something happens we're not in such a bad position but i have heard a lot about those headlines and i've heard a lot about people getting paid uh and getting these contracts and like getting told these are the plot and i've seen it on instagram but i don't know anybody personally so i'm not going to speak to it i also wanted to ask on that same thing was the biden harris administration um asking farmers to leave their crop leave their crops you know not growing food again i'm not sure about that what i do know is that they have a commitment to have what's called rewild 30 by 30 which is 30% of the american agri- american landscape total not just american land agricultural land be put back into wild so the, it's called like rewilding and so they want to put back 30% of the american landscape back into wild by 30 by 2030 so when we think about that well where are they going to get that land are i mean we we already have the parks okay so that's going to be that is basically between i think it's like between 16 or 17% of the american landscape is already in government lands that's wild okay well now you need to take on double that well where are you going to get that mostly you're going to take that from farmers right you're going to take that and so my question is well how does that how like how are we going how is that transition going to happen and i don't agree that rewilding is the answer i believe that working in partnership with nature understanding that we are part of the whole that is nature and not thinking that we are outside of nature we can have a much more powerful impact on the soil on the environment on the food that we eat but to just say if you look at my farm here for example um and then you look across the river there's a mountain that's the is the condor reserve i'm clearly sequestering more carbon growing more food and creating healthier soil and it and keeping the ground always covered so therefore keeping the ground always cooler than more than the mountain that's the condor reserve because the condor reserve is just doing what it's doing and i'm consciously working with the nature's practices So when we be conscientious and we do the practices of nature together with nature, we can do much more than just the wild on its own and there's been a lot of research recently saying that the Amazon the greatest resources of humanity when it comes to like the air that we breathe um how the whole cycling of carbon is happening on the planet the the, the rainforest is is epic, right? It does like 50% and the oceans do the other the rest of it. So we are now realizing that the rainforest was not just like monkeys running around throwing nuts down and and then it grew and the rainforest happened where there's a lot of evidence showing that indigenous people co-created the rainforest with nature so the rainforest which literally gives us the oxygen that we breathe and keeps the planet uh in balance was a co-creation nature and humanity not just how we've thought about it in the past is like birds are pooping out some nuts and now there was the rainforest there's now a lot of evidence showing that it was a co-creation it was an agricultural 
masterpiece of some kind where the indigenous people were planting these vines next to these trees and these things to create the environment that it now is. That's amazing. I had no idea. I might be lacking on my Amazon news, but you did an amazing job explaining that. We had one more headline that we wanted to touch on. Yeah. California is no longer allocating water to the farmers. In the Valley. Yes, that's true. Um, so I can speak to that. I do know farmers that are getting zero allocations. So different, there's different kinds of water um, allocations for farmers and it, it's, it's very complicated. And there's an interesting movie, I think it's called Water and Power. It's a documentary about how shady the water system is in California and how like the guy that owns Wonderful, Palm Wonderful and everything, how he basically stole a bunch of water. It's a crazy documentary. But that all being said, so most of the water in California comes from the Colorado River, it comes from northern areas, and it's brought down through the Central Valley to Los Angeles and um, and then down onto San Diego so that people um, can, you know, shit shower and shave, so to speak, in their um, cities. But on the way, it goes through all of this farmland and the farmers are not have we had the worst drought year we had 2.8 inches where i live all of last year 2.8 inches of rain wow. the worst drought year in the history of the history of the the california since they've been measuring so a couple hundred years was a 6.75 inches so 6.75 was a devastating drought but last year we only had 2.8 something. Um, my avocados didn't flower at all. I bear, I only got avocados on one in 10 trees. Um, there was all types of impacts on everything. So this year we have very little water in reserves. And so in order to keep the cities functioning, um, we allocated zero water to the farmers in the Central Valley. And we need to make sure there's a certain amount of water for the fish in the rivers. Now, I'm all for conservation, but we need to make sure there really is fish. The The conservation is by the river that I live next to. I mean, I don't even never seen any fish that they're talking about that we're conserving. And the river dries up almost fully, just about seven properties down from me. So I'm wondering, is this area really where the, the fish are? I'm not sure if that's even a true um, thing. The other thing is that we're letting a certain amount of water just run right out into the ocean. And water is a complex issue and it is a it is a human rights issue. Like everybody needs water to live. If you don't have water, you can't live. So it, it's a very complex issue. So I'm not someone that's like, oh, well, the people in the cities don't deserve water. But our largest irrigated crop in the United States um, is grass. So that would be your lawns, everybody's lawns. So I would say that if we're going to allocate, um, Beverly Hills should not be able to water their lawns if farmers can't water their almonds. So I, I say almonds take precedent over Beverly Hills lawns. But I also say that we as farmers need to shift our ways of being and doing as now, people either believe that there's geoengineering, people believe there's climate change, people believe China is controlling the weather. Whatever you believe, something is different today than it was 20 years ago. And so we have to shift with that. And so what I'm, I'm saying that on the legislative part, California is a mess and just taking away the water, a mess. But on the farmer side, 
I grew 370 something thousand dollars worth of produce with half of the water that my neighbor grew $15,000 worth of produce last year. So there is ways to do it differently. And we have to be willing to take those risks and do those things um, differently because we are at the whim of the government and they could just tell us you can't have any more water. And so I believe that if we want to spend government money on something, I think that making the water districts, all these tiny little farmer water districts more efficient would be a good use of resources. But I would say that we need to put, yes, people bathing themselves is a priority over maybe almonds, but I would say almonds is a priority over people being able to water their lawns. I think if we're going to have zero water allocated to farmers, there needs to be zero water allocated to landscaping. To me, it, it's crazy that we're that we want we're still watering all the landscaping of all of Los Angeles and the Central Valley has no water for their farmers. Um, and it's not like everybody's growing row crops and it's like, OK, they're going to miss out on a year of cabbage. They're going to they're they're if they don't have wells or they don't have their own water, they're going to lose their whole, you know, almond trees take five years until they're going to start producing almonds, maybe seven. So now those trees are going to die and they will have to start over again. Um, it, it It's detrimental to just not allocate water at all. And so but the Central Valley still does flood irrigation and lots of not um, great practices. So I say that on both sides, there needs to be some work done. But allocating zero water to farmers is crazy pants. Because I, I agree with that. Food life. is a priority. Well, the um, Biden just told us that we have to get ready, ready for more. Um, what's it? We have to get ready for food more shortages. shortages. Because like, it's our duty to Ukraine. And I was like, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I see that as my duty to Ukraine, but okay. Um, but yeah, I think that food shortages are coming. I think anybody that can have a cow, a goat, some chickens, you should. If you're not, then you're, you're really missing um, an opportunity to try to secure food for your family. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't, like, right. it doesn't have any suffering stop for anyone. I mean, I, I have a hard time with sanctions as it is because we're buying gas from Saudi Arabia. We're buying stuff from China every day on Amazon and they're creating, causing genocide. Like, I'm just not sure that not buying Russian oil is or not buying Russian wheat is somehow going to is is really like giving us a moral higher um uh, it's not giving us a moral higher ground. Um, and so I just think it's 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 just collapsing our economy. And I think that's what it's meant to do. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I also think that all of a sudden now they're having huge outbreaks in China of COVID is a trade war. Uh, it's like a secret, a silent trade war. Like it's it's not about COVID. It's about having our I mean, I was just putting in irrigation and parts that cost a dollar a year ago were are five dollars. Like a tea, a PVC tea, you know, was three ninety nine. Like I mean, just crazy. But but I need one for every single riser, and there's you know seven hundred risers on the farm. So then do seven hundred times three for just that one part for three ninety nine. That's you know two thousand dollars for that one part to put in irrigation to water food. Like it's just crazy. But those parts are all coming from China. And 
everything is getting more and more expensive. And if we think it's expensive now, now that they're shutting down whole cities and people are, you know, back on quarantine because of COVID, then I think that things, it's just going to be a full on domino effect. And I think it's a oh, trade. Yeah. I don't think it's a COVID thing. Yeah. Yeah, we agree. Sorry, I just... digressed so far. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I, um, I love listening to you. You have so much knowledge and that's what people need to hear, which leads me to my next question about the water allocation. And you're talking about how it's just legislative and how people need to come together. What is the best way that people can help, whether they be farmers or not? What is your what is your advice or what would you like to see? I, I mean, I don't know. Bureaucracy is kind of like the grim reaper of everything. I, I think that we went from let's say America was when it was a young um, and country, it was like just had gotten out under this king and they didn't want to be ruled. And so there's all these laws that stop um, tyranny and all of this stuff. So in order to get around that, we've just created all of these agencies, the FDA, the EPA, the headwaters and conservation, the this and that, and every kind of different, conservation group different kind of watchdog OSHA and all of these things and all of these people don't fall subject to the laws they are just interpreting the laws that were voted in but they're essentially like little kings everywhere just doing what they want to do interpreting the law so you kind of depending on what the vibe of your county your local administrators are it has all I, I mean I'm leaving I mean, when I tell you I live in the most beautiful valley in all of the United States, I believe that. Like, I live, I'm living next to live water in Southern California in this beautiful watershed with this most beautiful farm where I'm food sovereign, where I have my community, where there, I don't want to leave here for nothing in the world. And I'm picking up and I'm leaving. And it's hard to even say without crying. But I'm mm -hmm. doing that because the bureaucracy of okay, you can't have tiny houses on your property. You can't have a composting toilet. You can't have a compost pile that's more than six feet tall. You can't have a walk-in shed that's got air conditioning for refrigeration for food. You can't have the, you can't use two. I mean, it's crazy. I have two, like, have you seen those gazebos they sell at Costco? They're like a wood gazebo with a metal roof. I don't know. Yeah. They're so I bought two of them and put them together and made a packing shed so my guys can have shade and everything. And then we put walls on two, on three sides of them so the guys have shade while they're packing up food and everything like that. They said, I altered a prefab uh, building. You can't alter a prefab building. And I put them touching each other. Therefore, I made a building that was bigger than that was allowed. Those buildings are allowed because they're prefab from Costco. But I, if I had put six feet of space between them, but because I did it, I need to demolition the whole thing. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And and so I can't even live life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is no longer allowed in California because your neighbors can just call and say, she has a gazebo from Costco touching another gazebo from Costco, and then they can get access to your land, and then they can point out, oh, that electrical outlet is not on the plans. My house was built in 1884, so everything that they pointed out that was not on the plans, yeah, there's no plans. There's no permits. My house has been here for a long time, so they're just... Everything that's been grandfathered in, they want me to do everything to make it right. And I, so I can't live under that level of scrutiny. I, I don't need the government to make me safe. 
I just need the government to create the space, the container for me to have life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, raise my children, grow food, have my businesses. But I don't need the government to tell me, oh, you can't live with these people on your property. You can only have one person on your property per 40 acres, blah, 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 blah. I don't need that. I mean, I'm in trouble with seven different governmental agencies right now. I mean, when Joel Salatin said everything I want to do is illegal, like literally that's what it feels like to be a farmer in California. Everything I want to do is illegal. Yeah, that's got to be really hard to deal with. And I know that California is probably the worst of the worst, but things like that are just, you know, it's happening all over um, the United States. The Because bureaucracy, because we have these laws, but then they're widely interpreted by these other agencies and these other agencies just get to declare stuff. It's not voted in like yeah. Congress makes this wi- like widely interpreted law. And then it's just these people just get to decide stuff. Like, for example, in my county, nobody can live in an RV. Well, because one kid died in an RV. That was a tragedy. But mm-hmm. now should nobody ever be able to live in an RV ever again for in Ventura County or in a tiny house? But that's No, they the- would rather you live on the streets in a tent. Oh, my God. Listen to this. I have four tiny houses on my property. They're beautiful. Like, I built them. They have bamboo floors. They have granite countertops. They have tile bathrooms like everything is like legit cute like not like a shitty little farm worker housing that anybody else would give people these are beautiful and you know what the county says get rid of them you can't have them here and then i but if i moved them onto the street disconnected them from septic disconnected them from water and disconnected them from electricity and just park them on the street do you know that they couldn't do anything about it because there's an ordinance that you can't make people move their rvs that are living on the street so you can live in an rv with no electric or water or septic on the street but you can't live on someone's property that's giving you permission to live there while you're all hooked up and sanitary and safe like how does that make sense there's so much you can't make it make sense when it comes down to it and i'm wondering you know even from the restaurant aspect you said that you're providing about 20% um of the food that you use in your restaurants from your farm that was probably a big to do to da as well yeah but and and it is but it it wasn't even about the per food it was just about that i believe that throwing your food scraps in the trash is a moral imperative not to do it like whatever people think about climate change or not climate change like methane in the environment is not a good thing and everybody wants to complain about cow's farts and when i say everybody i mean the vegans are always saying that cow's farts are the problem and i'm like Yo, you just threw your cop, you just threw all those food scraps in the garbage. You have no right to talk about what anybody else is doing because that is the most detrimental thing we're doing. And when I realized that, I thought, oh, fuck, I got to get a farm so I can take all these food scraps because the amount of food scraps that a restaurant makes is crazy. And mm-hmm. so that was why I got a farm. And then we now we take all that food scraps, make it into soil, make it into more food, and bring it back to the restaurant. It's all about closing that loop and being responsible for who we are in the world. Often, we're just like we throw everything away where is a way like there was an activist that said where is a way we throw it away there is no away like we're all just on a rock floating through space and there's no (laughs) way we got to be responsible for who we're being in the world i wanted to ask how can people who are not farmers still contribute or help influence 
the way that big farmers are are doing it because I know you've said they're tilling the soil that's blowing into the ocean. Is there anything we can do collectively as a community to encourage big farmers to give this a try? Um, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, it's all it all comes down to dollars and cents. Farmers are not out to like they don't want to ruin the soil. That's their livelihood, but they're in most farmers, 70% of farmers have an off farm job to keep their farm. They're literally farming, uh, you know, to, in order to keep their family farm. They do not want to be the generation that lost their family farm. And it's about dollars and cents. We have to create pathways where they can make more money or the same money doing it this other way. And that is the reality. And so we all need to be willing to we spend the least money on our food in this country than any first world country. So we are used to spending 10% of our budget on food. So we really have to be willing to spend more money on our food. Uh, Cheap food is always abusive food. And people don't like to hear that. People don't like it when I say that, but cheap food is abusive food. And it's, it's a, it's a paradox. People want to be very upset about immigration and then they want their food to be cheap. And then they want to be upset about people's health, but then they want their food to be cheap. And what they have to realize is that these things are all connected and they're not black and white. They're very gray. And each time that you vote with your dollars, every time you spend money, and we all fail. I just ordered jeans on Amazon this morning. Like we all fail and do things that are not the best for the whole, but it takes effort. It takes going to a local farmer's market. It takes talking to farmers. It takes buying the the slightly more expensive organic or regenerative product because the, the, the market will shift to what the people want, but the people have to be willing to give up some of their comfort in order to have a better future for their children. And right now, the way that we're going this is not even about the planet is going to burn up in a fiery hell and fear mongering. It doesn't, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they are centralizing our food system in such a way that just the way that they centralize the banking system, just the way they centralize everything else so that we will have no power. We will not know what is in our food. We are already eating stuff that we don't know what it is. There is no transparency in our food system. So the thing that we need to do is go back to eating food that we can imagine in our grandmother's garden. Imagine, okay, I can imagine blackberry jam has sugar, has blackberries, has lemon in it. Okay, I can imagine all those things growing. I know what they are. And I, okay, I feel okay about eating that. But you look at the impossible burger or you look at a chicken, even a real chicken nuggets at all the additives that are, I don't even know what those things are. I cannot imagine them growing and I am not going to put them in my body. I agree. Um, I've seen a chicken nugget under a microscope and that was really scary. Yeah. (laughs) But what you want to do is do the little bit of extra and eat whole foods, eat whole foods and eat local, eat local, eat local, and then talk to your farmers. There might not be regenerative farmers where you are, but talk to them, share the film that we made, like say, Hey, I listened to this podcast with this farmer and she was talking about regenerative agriculture. Have you heard about that? What, you know, what kind of practices do you do? How do you guys get rid of weeds? How do you, you know, how do you, what do you use for fertilizer? Have those conversations with people because then that, I'll use an example. There's a flower farmer that sells flowers at the farmer's market right in front of my restaurant. And every week he would tell me, oh, buy my flowers. And I'd say, stop putting them in plastic. And maybe I will. 
Do you know now he only puts all his flowers in paper? It took months of me giving him a hard time about that plastic. But now, because we don't need that. We do need plastic for things, for medical things, for certain things, for irrigation pipes, for whatever. But we don't need plastic for every single little thing to just end up in the ocean. It's silly. Mm -hmm. So we need to, but we need to have a conversation like, hey, I said, Trito, I love your flowers, but I don't want to buy them in plastic. And he's like, I'll take the plastic off. No, it's not the point. You already used the plastic. I want you to put them in, in paper. Now he sells all of his flowers in paper. And he told me, like, lots of people have told me, thank you for using the paper. And I said, yeah. So sometimes the farmer is not even present to what the market wants. We have to speak up to it. I agree. They're doing the best that they can do to survive. But we need to show them different pathways um, that's available. And, and that's what I really want to set up new local food systems. The, the fact that like FDA can only, you know, like how many slaughterhouses, how centralized our meat system is, how you can't even slaughter your own animals and then sell it to friends and family. Like that's illegal. These are things that really are all not for our safety. They're telling us it's for our safety. It's for control. If there's yeah. three or six companies making all of our meat, that that's control. That is not about my safety. People were able to buy food from their neighbors for hundreds of years, and now it's illegal. I can't sell my milk to a neighbor. It's illegal. I recently read an article that the mRNA vaccine is being tested to be put in fruits and vegetables. Have you heard that? I've read those same articles that you've read. I find it very disconcerting. Scary. And before that, I mean, how many people know that all of our wheat and all of our oats are being sprayed with glyphosate before we're eating them? How many of us know that the shikame pathway, yes, humans don't have a shikame pathway, but humans are only 50% human and we're 50% microbiology that keeps us alive. And all of that microbiology does have shikame pathways and we're killing it off by eating this food. We are literally poisoning ourselves and this, there's no racial lines to this. There's no religious lines to this. There's no even financial lines to this. We are, we are, there is an attack on the people. We are being poisoned and we're not even paying attention. Yeah. I was um, pretty impressed whenever I read all your information and um, I do know about the gluten, but the autism increase since 1996 with the different things they're putting in foods. That's pretty incredible. That That is verifiable. And, and you know, it was one in 10,000 before 1986. And that's when we started mandating the vaccine, childhood vaccine schedule. Here's the thing. If I could give you a burrito at my restaurant today that would make you need to have burritos from my restaurant on and off for the rest of your life, I, I, I would give you that burrito. That seems awesome. Like that <laughs> I have customers for life. But exactly. But I wish it was a burrito, but it's not. But it's, it's not a burrito. It's not a burrito. <laughs> and it's it's everything. Like we've stopped letting women have babies out of their vagina. Like we are cutting 30 to 50 percent of babies out of the womb based on, you know, where you live, different cities and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. there's Japan has way lower rates and they have much smaller framed people. There's lots of first world countries have very low rates of, of uh, C-section. And when the baby does not pass through, basically through the vagina, touch the butthole, all of that, the bacteria 
fungus and viruses that colonate the gut are not the right one. God did not make any mistakes. The baby is supposed to come out through the vaginal canal, touch the butthole, all as gross as that might sound. That is what the baby is supposed to do to get the correct, I mean, what is the bacteria that's in poop is it's in poop. So the babies get squeezed out through there and all that is juices are going. There's a reason for that, that God was, didn't make a mistake, but we are, we are not preparing women to be strong. And like we, we've no, we've stopped preparing women to be strong for childbirth because there's epidurals that, and then epidurals slows it down. And, but we don't prepare women. We don't prepare People are just like, oh, I'm going to get an epidural. People decide, I've heard 12-year-olds saying that they're going to get an epidural. We have not, we no longer prepare women for the most fundamentally woman thing to do. I know that you have you have so much going on, but I want to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners what you think is, is most important and provide some encouragement um, for anybody you know, maybe that's into farming if they have big farm or um, just how to live from here on out. Um, and creating your food sovereignty? So I I think two things. I think that right now we have to have resilient community and radical noncompliance. Like those are the two things that we need to do. Like we we have to create a community that you can depend on. And that is really, really important. Um, And so... And then you have to be able to say no, or in my case, get up and move because there is there's is no way for me to say no. They're going to start fining me $1,000 a day if I don't comply. But we have to be a community. And literally what's happened over the last you know 10 years, but for sure over the last two years, is we've isolated. We don't need people anymore. You can get everything delivered to your house. You can get everything. We don't need a community. Where Think about... I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm 43. When I was younger, you know, you had to call, you know, we wanted to find out if something, what we needed something, you call this place and then you'd call that place and they'd refer you to that place. And you'd talk to John over there and he'd talk to someone over there. There wasn't an internet. There wasn't. um, So when you needed to, you know, my dad would get a new animal and we need to figure out where the feed came from. You'd call the Agway store and then they'd say they have these two options, but they know the guy out in this town that has these options. And you'd, you know, you'd call around and you'd figure it out. And so that created community. We no longer have to ask our elders. We no longer have to ask anybody about anything because we can just Google it. We're all Google experts and we don't have community. But if the internet went down tomorrow, how many people like have skill sets? Like if the, if the internet just disappeared tomorrow, how many people have skill sets? So my encouraging thing is like, teach your kids to sew, teach your kids to can, teach your kids, even if you don't have a garden yet, you know, buy stuff at the farmer's market or get surplus from somewhere and make jam, make jelly, make tomato sauce, learn how to pressure can, learn how to do these things that 50 years ago, everyone knew how to do. Because what 
what if there is food shortages? What if there yeah. isn't Google? You know, I, I have this drawer in my house and make people make fun of me. I print stuff out that I think might be important if we didn't have the internet and I put it in this drawer and, <laughs> and, and, and it just says end of days. And it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of not a joke. Like, I don't know. I might need to know how to make soap out of ashes. So I'm going to put that away there in case I need to. That's, um, that's a great way to be Molly. I My grandma would have loved you did gardening i mean the garden was from beginning to the end of the yard she did all of her own jam she never threw away anything if she took apart a chicken like every single part of it would be used um tons of stuff frozen that's how we grew up and we we throw away 30 percent of our food we sit here talk about food shortages but we're throwing away 30 percent of our food it's yeah. crazy. We buy it and we don't use it and we throw it away. And mm-hmm. my grandma would always be like, no, 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 don't throw that away. And she'd put it in the compost. Everything. Yep. Everything. And OK, so that was my grandma, too. My grandma on my dad's side, my grandma, on my mom's side grew up in Staten Island. So she wasn't not didn't have a lot of those skill sets. But my grandmother that was from upstate New York, I grew up in Ithaca, New York, so I wasn't that far from Pennsylvania. Um yeah, she taught me how everything taught me how to make jam, jelly, can things, how to get berry stains out of something, how to knit, how to crochet, how to sew. Women do not know how to do these things anymore. I do see online the homestead movement. Um, it seems to be getting larger. And I do think that's because we were shut down. You know, everything was shut down for two years. And so a lot of people did start gardening. Yes, we also propelled the people that do the online shopping um, and having things delivered. Those people, I, in my opinion, are probably too far gone because they were already kind of living that way. But there was an in-between of, of the moms that stepped up to homeschool and then they wanted to get their kids outside. So they started gardening. And I'm seeing a very big movement in homestead, which is great. I agree. And I we need it. We need more people stewarding the land. And like you said about your grandma, people, you don't need a farm. Before I had a farm, I I lived in a normal house and I had, I mean, I had like 50 fruit trees, like planted every little area that I could plant a fruit tree. Um, I had compost bins, I had worm bins, everything in a normal, you know, city lot. It was a little bit of a bigger lot, but it wasn't like a huge lot. And so you can have a garden anywhere and it's better than growing grass. And it, it is a really great practice because those of us who have a garden, even if it's a small garden, start to recognize when we're about to throw away a tomato. Oh, you know, I know how much effort it took to grow a tomato, you know, because I was growing these tomatoes last summer. And it makes us more mindful, more conscientious of the food. And the guys that work on my farm are always are laughing at me because I'm always pulling avocados out of the compost. And they're like, what are you doing? We have lots of good avocados. And I was like, oh, no, we can eat these ones. They're good. Why are we throwing them away? But I'm happy to eat the ugly fruit. I'm happy to eat the things that are imperfect because that is one of the big problems with our society is that we think that produce should all look perfect. But when we think about that or when we touch 50 different melons at the store to pick the perfect one, do we think about how we're bruising those melons and then half of them are going to go bad and get thrown away at the grocery store? Or do we think about, well, if all these lemons look perfect. Where are all the lemons that don't look perfect? We don't think about that. 
yeah, they didn't make the cut. And I know what you mean. Um, so over the past few years, um, I've also gotten back into gardening, um, you know, because my grandma, like I said, she's just always like influential on that. But now that I'm in uh, more of a permanent home, I'm using my yard space to build up gardening and doing it one step at a time. So even like the, this little bushel of chives that I had, we still putting chives on everything and now it's going to flower. I didn't want to let the rest of the chives go, even though at the store it's probably cost two bucks. I still chopped it all, cut it all, made dry chives. So now I have a container of dry chives that I'm going to figure out how to use and what do they go on. Um, so that's that's excellent advice. And, All and of those- that's the perfect example of once you start growing different things, you're also going to expand your culinary palate. You discover new stuff. Yeah, exactly. The Truth Train doesn't stop here. Did you know that you can connect with us and our guests further? Join us on the uncensored platform, Telegram, for live chats and Q&A with our guests. Hope to see you there. If you're interested in connecting with Molly further, you can find her on Instagram at Chef Molly or her website, soaheart.com. That's S-O-W-A-H-E-A-R-T.com. Before you go, hit follow and share with a friend. Wake up to a new episode of Louisiana Sister Squad podcast every Tuesday.